Let's be honest. How many times have you chalked up a relationship ending to bad timing? For hosts Nancy and PJ Heslin, the answer is a lot. It took living separately in Canada, the U.S., and France, two divorces, and 20 years for timing to work out. And when it finally did in the south of France, the couple discovered they had two different versions of their love story. We all do, right? But what if your side is not the whole story, and you have the journals to prove it? Keep listening to Nancy and PJ Finally Get Together, a podcast on love, relationships, and two lives in between. This episode is brought to you by the Pan Lagos Foundation. Pan Lagos is based in New York City, and they are a nonprofit cultural organization founded on the ideals of Hellenism, dedicated to the betterment of humanity by supporting intercultural dialogue and exchange through the Hellenic language, education, and ideals, providing opportunities for the pursuit of excellence to individuals of all ages and backgrounds, bringing the wisdom of the past in dialogue with the present. We aim to inspire a happier, healthier humanity for today and the future. Welcome to Episode 8 of Nancy and PJ Finally Get Together. I'm Nancy Heslin. And I'm PJ Heslin. This episode is all about, is anything by chance? Especially when you're in your 20s and you start to think about real short-term goals, you expect everything to work out or it's never going to work out. So that sense of immediacy all the time. I look back, there was one job when I moved from moved home from France. There was a job at White Rose Gardens, I think it was called. And they had a position for a bilingual marketing, wouldn't be director, but a, it was a higher up position in marketing and advertising. And I applied and I thought this is going to solve the problem for my life. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I love, you know, I, I'm very creative. I'm highly creative and I can speak French. And so I went through this process. It was the first time as an adult, I actually had more than one interview. So when you work at Taco Bell, it's just sort of, if you can fill out the form, you get the job. Hey, hey, hey. I love Taco Bell. Come on. And um, I did work at Taco Bell, so I, I have the right to say that. But it was my first sort of adult application process. And I was so sure. And I wanted that job so badly, so badly, so badly. And then finally, the woman called me and said, this was a really tough decision. Um, but we had to go with someone else. It almost makes it worse when somebody says, oh, it's a really tough decision. It's like when you're single and somebody says, I don't get it. Like, you're so pretty and you're so funny. Why are you single? I mean, it's kind of like a... Back then, yeah. So that was when I was going out for acting roles and everything. And that happens to you every single day. Hey, no. Hey, thanks for coming in. No. But did you have that feeling of like, I want this so badly? It's weird because, yeah, there's certain things, like I said last episode, like if it was a series thing, yeah, of course you want it because that's great pay and you know, it's, that's the yeah, start of a career. Um, and in a future episode, I'll tell about a series that I got on. Because I didn't get that job, I was free to do the teaching program this first year, which uh, was amazing as an experience. And also I had applied for a job at, I think it was York University in Toronto for the summer and that didn't work out. But then I was given, because that didn't work out, I was able to go down to um, Prince Edward Island on the East Coast. And See, you had all these adult jobs at the time. I mean, I'm, I'm yeah, but I was getting and, paid peanuts and getting, Hey, get, I'm getting paid to be, hey, pretend, pretend to eat a hamburger on TV. Yeah. But you would make more in one I'm sure, commercial than I made yes. in the five years that I was traveling around trying to support myself. Yeah. Make a lot of money. I wouldn't say these were a, adult a jobs. They were just trying to figure out your twenties, but a lot of it now I just look back and go, Oh, you know, I was so disappointed so many times, but in the long run it worked out. But I mean, even the way we met, I mean, we met 
because you were in the room across the hall from me and we know how that went. Just move on from that. You kissed me. So this was a pretty cool time actually in the spring and summer of 1993 for both of us. There were bigger things happening. I had been still quite down all that. I know it's getting boring to hear that. Um, but because I knew I was going down to the East coast of Canada for the summer, uh, I was really excited because that made me feel like I had my life together so that when I did go home and see my family or when I saw PJ, I had sort of a bragging right to say, oh, I'm off to do this really cool new experience. And PJ had like really big things. You had your first national TV commercial? Yeah. So at this point, I was doing stand-up. Now I'm getting paid to do stand-up. And so I'm doing that regularly and getting paid, which was awesome. And that was when I had my first national commercial. What, which- was, it? what was it? It was for a wine cooler. I don't want to say the company name. Oh, yeah, no. Oh, this is right. Because I just, I just saw the video for this recently, and I was laughing because I thought, he's still got the same pair of shorts. No, I won't say the name. But if you Google and YouTube uh, 90s wine cooler commercials Canada, you could probably find it. So, yeah, that was a big deal. That was a really big deal. Because even in Canada, it wasn't the money that you could get in the States. You know, if you had a national commercial in the States, I had heard of people that were able to buy homes because they had a national. But in Canada, it meant that probably for about three to four months, you're paid uh, all of your payments on your, on your rent. And yeah, you, you didn't really have to worry financially for three to four months, which, you know, I'm 27 at the time. What was that? $400 a month living with two other people in a, in a little apartment. So, but it was a big deal to get something like that. For me. Did you watch yourself on TV? I don't believe I had a choice. I do believe seeing myself on TV. And believe it or not, even with my ego, it wasn't as thrilling as you think it is. I believe that. I saw the video. <laughs> the funny thing is, is that I remember calling PJ from Quebec, and he was telling me that he was getting this national commercial, and it was coming out, I think, in May. And I was so envious of a television because a television has a remote. And I kept thinking, at least you could just turn them off. But I didn't have that like brain remote to simply just do that. And I didn't actually see the commercial at the time. I very rarely watched TV. And I did have friends in Toronto going, PJ and his blue eyes are on TV. Ooh. Ooh la la, as they say. Yeah. So you had that going on. And weren't you also in a series? Yeah. At, at this point, there was um, a. I was lucky because I, now I was kind of working, uh, didn't really have to do a day job. You know, I would still sort of temp every now and then or do some catering every now and then. But I was really lucky because very shortly after I had made this decision, I was now making a living. So I was on- Were you still doing stand-up at the time? Yeah, I was doing stand-up probably, oof, God, at least three, three to four nights out of the week, which, you know, American comics would be like, that's nothing. I can do three to four sets one night. But in Canada, that in Toronto at that time, that's working a lot. Uh, you want a show called Counter Strike? Yeah, there was a was show that? called Counter. There was a whole bunch of stuff in Canada that was filming that. Some of it was just Canadian. Some of it was uh, on in cable on cable channels in the states. Counter Strike was like this, as you would imagine, a show called Counter Strike. It was kind of like um, you know, hey, we got to get the bad guys, the terrorists. Let's go get them. And it was like a band. Uh, it was kind of like the Canadian version of the A-Team. So nobody swore. 
And there was no lots way, of A's. Yeah, and there was no. Let's but, go get them, eh? There's nobody of color. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of white guys and girls going around busting terrorist rings. That, that, um, that has changed, uh, you know. But yeah, there was always something sort of going. It seemed like once a month at this point, I would book something that would make enough money that I wouldn't have to worry for about two months. But when you had the national commercial, did that sort of like accelerate other? Yeah, definitely. Especially with stand-up. You know, you're on TV. It doesn't matter whether it's why you're on TV. People see you on TV. And so people who book gigs would be like, oh, yeah, it's a guy who just did that cooler commercial. Okay, cool. And even in the audience, people would, whether they hated you or whether they hated the commercial or liked it, they at least recognized you. And that sort of gave you some kind of credibility to be on stage trying to make them laugh. How did you, I mean, this, I've never asked you this, but how did you deal with the rejection? I mean, you, you must have heard a lot of no's. Rejection just from auditions? Yeah. Or, yeah, like you said, it, when it was something you really wanted, that, that hurt. And, and when you got a, call, a callback, a callback means that, oh, they liked you, so they, they call you back for another audition. And when you get to that stage where they're sort of, they see you three or four times and you're, you're like, oh my God, that's, then that rejection was hard. But a lot of the stuff, you know, if you're going in for pizzatinas, hey, pizzatina, I like a pizzatina roll. Who wants a pizza? You don't care. You don't, it's just a, that's, if I get it, great. That's some money in the bank, but I don't care about this. But I didn't even know that you were on. Did you say you were on Anna Green Gables? I was on uh, an episode of Anne of Green Gables, yeah. So tell our listeners about Anne of Green Gables if so they're not... Anne of Green uh, Gables is a Canadian legend. It's a story about a young girl growing up in PEI. And uh, Sarah Pauly, who's now a big, uh, big director, she just has a movie coming out right now. Doesn't she also sing? I didn't know. I didn't know she sang. Eh, I think she new. sang for the Sweet Hair After soundtrack. Yeah. Okay. Um... Yeah, she was Anne of Green Gables, and I can't. I played some sort of. It was. I remember we filmed down by the the old uh, in Toronto the the Goodrums, the, the distillery. That was it. We filmed it down in the distillery, and it was a scene where I was like a dock hand or something. I don't know why. It, did, did you speak? <laughs> yes. I don't know why Anne was down by the docks. She was a, a curious young little girl. <laughs> but we were down by the, the docks, and I can't even remember what the scene was. Do you remember your line? No, I don't. It's nothing. The funny part is, is that was happening for PJ at the same time I actually went to PEI and spent the summer uh, working at a summer language program at the university in Charlottetown. And the program was for French kids from Quebec going there to learn English. So it was exactly the same program that PJ and I had met a few summers before, but a reverse of language. And I was responsible for the, I think I was running a student workshop. We were putting together the souvenir book for the summer. And I had never been to the East Coast of Canada. I think I'd been to Halifax that one night, but not really into Charlottetown. And it was incredible. And because I was feeling so good about myself, I had decided that I would see PJ before I left for Charlottetown. I think I left at the end of June. And I called him up and I was so cocky with myself that I thought, I'm going to give him back the bracelet. This is in my mind. I didn't say it on the phone, but I had kept that gold ID bracelet from the summer we met that his grandparents had given him and warned him about giving to that girl. And 
I kept it because I, I really lo- I loved the gold. It was a beautiful bracelet, but also it was just something of his that would take me down my melancholic river, I suppose. And I decided, oh, I'm going to give it back. He can give it to some other girl. I don't care. And so what I usually would do is I wore it all the time. And the odd time I would see PJ, I would remember to take it off before I saw him. Or if I forgot, I would shove it in my pocket. This time I purposefully put it in my pocket, ready with a speech to like throw it in his face when he opened the door. Take your damn bracelet. Drama. Yeah, I did like drama. And uh, anyway, it was it was the most surreal thing. And even when I read about it, I can remember very clearly. It was just, we had a really great visit. We were both in a good place. Neither of us were looking for anything from the other person. And it, for once in my life, I was sort of content for what I had at that moment. And so I just kind of... I do remember that being one of those really carefree visits that we had. It was yeah. really nice. And yeah, like you said, as well, I was in a good headspace You weren't as boring. Well. I wasn't boring. Thank God. Um, I was in a good space too, because even though I was getting that acting stuff, to be honest, the thing that really made me proud was getting stand-up, regular stand-up comedy. And I was working at the Laugh Resort. There was a group of about six to eight comics there that I thought were very funny. They were also really well-respected. So that, that was a source of pride and happiness for me to be doing stand-up at that club with those guys. Well, yeah, you see, I remember you, your life seemed much more grown up than, you seemed more together. Your life seemed more together than mine at that time. But that was just one of those moments where we were both just happy to be with each other. And, so, and plus it's summer. It's summer, so, yeah. it's summer in Toronto and Canada is. Patio season. Yeah, it's a glorious time. So yeah, I, I left that night and I did keep the bracelet in my pocket and went off. But I was convinced at that point that there was something waiting for me in PEI. And I have this pattern of convincing myself of these things throughout my life that something big is I always was waiting for something big to happen but I had convinced myself that I was going to find love in Charlottetown in Prince Edward Island and so I jumped on a flight and within 24 hours of being there we were in the director's home and everybody was playing guitar and singing and we were eating vegetarian chili and I felt like vegetarian chili and singing I know nightmare (laughs) But it was, it was just an amazing feeling because I was the only person not from the island and I just felt that I had known these people. I don't know if anyone's ever had that kind of experience that you just connect with a group. And yeah, I just felt like I'd known them my whole life. And the next night we went out and it was this thing called, um, the program had started, was starting in a week. So we had a, a week of training, but the f- first full day and full night we were there, there was this thing called Burst Your Bladder Fest. And so uh, that doesn't sound fun. Yeah, it was amazing. A bunch of the guys took me and you get, we went to this bar and all the shots were, um, I think a quarter. So everything was a quarter until somebody went to the bathroom. And then once somebody went to the bathroom, you'd hear this cha-ching sound and the drinks would go up 25 cents every time someone went in. So it was amazing because the DJ would play like waterfall music and talk to you about relieving yourself. And everybody was just pounding these like shots of Jack Daniels is what I remember. And then, you really was getting to the point where somebody was going to break. And there was like a hundred people in the bar. Um, so yeah, I remember, I remember that and then not being the first person to have to go, but then all of a sudden you could hear the cha-ching sounds and taking a taxi back to the campus. And there was a lot of potholes. And when you hold oh. it for that loud for the, when you hold it for that long, it's a bit of a, a bit of an issue, but yeah, burst your bladder fest, highly recommend. Um, the other thing I remember about PEI, there's two things that surprised me is that you could cross the street and, all the cars would just stop and let you pass. I don't know if it's still the same, but it was like setting your clock back to a different time. 
people were so friendly. And it was the first time, it was my introduction to Tim Horton's coffee. Mm. Do you like Tim Horton's? I love Tim Horton's, especially the little, uh, the donut holes. But the coffee. Uh, it's been so long, can't really remember so their coffee. Tim Hortons is a Canadian chain of coffee to go and donuts, right? He was a, oh, I'm going to get this wrong, I'm sure. Hockey player. He was a hockey yep. player. I did get it right. And um, they, are, they are famous for their Timbits, which are these little tiny donut holes that are fantastic. Um, but anyway, yeah, everybody drank Tim Hortons coffee, and I kind of got addicted to Tim Hortons coffee. They didn't really have, at the time, a lot of the Second Cups or Starbucks or things like that. It was just like hot no, it was coffee. Just, yeah, Tim Hortons, and that was it. it was, yeah. In Canada, there was no... There was, at that time, there was Second Cup and things like that, but in Charlottetown, there was uh, only okay. Tim Hortons. And so, yeah, the, I, obviously, I was off to a good start that summer, and yes, I did meet somebody else. We really connected... But then my brain just made everything really bad because I wanted to know where it was going. I wanted to know how he felt. And he was pretty quiet. His mom had died and you know, he had issues with that. And he's a really sweet guy, but I couldn't figure out where things were going. But I had that, that joie de vivre feeling where you're just that feeling where you're just happy and everything felt great. So much so that I decided to call PJ from one of the pay phones at the university and share with him that I had met somebody. I, didn't, I wasn't going to just come out with it, but I was hoping that if I talked to him, he would say, are you seeing anybody? Yeah, because meanwhile, I'm in Toronto, pining away for Nancy, oh, not please. seeing anybody, please. living this life. Yeah, okay, I'm having fun doing stand-up comedy and with my friends, but I am single and not seeing anybody. And just thinking of you. Yeah, this is not true. But the other side of that is I really loved talking to PJ when things were going well. It wasn't just because I was obsessed with him thinking about me and trying to get him back to trying to get back together. So I wanted to call him and he did ask me if I was seeing somebody. So I threw it in there. And the summer went on and it was one of the best summers of my life. Uh, great friends, great people. And at the end of the six weeks, I was exhausted. You know, it's, those are the type of jobs where you're responsible for you know, teenagers, so you're up all the time, 24-7, every day. There was a lot of fun. I loved uh, visiting a new place. At the end of the summer, I was getting close to leaving. I had accepted a, a job in another part of Quebec uh, for the following school year. This one was a place called Joliet. I was in Montjoli, but I was going to Joliet outside of Montreal. I think it was about 45 minutes. And I was getting prepared to go to that. And the guy that I had been seeing in PEI, I was getting close to getting on my plane going to head back to Toronto for a week or two and then and move on my own for the first time in my own apartment in Quebec. And uh, the night before we were leaving, he said, you know, I think I'm going to come live with you in Quebec. What? And I was shocked and I, I was so excited. I, I mean, looking back, I probably should have realized that it was never going to happen because, you know, nobody goes from saying nothing to I'm just going to come live with you. So I was pretty happy. I gave him my phone number at my parents' place uh, in Toronto. He was going to Halifax got on the plane and the day he was supposed to call the following week, didn't hear anything, didn't hear anything, didn't hear anything. It's not looking good. But I was convinced he was going to come live with me in Quebec. And I got back to Toronto. And of course I wanted to see PJ before I left because I had another new job that I could show him once again. Oh, I'm heading off to Quebec again. And my life's all great. So we got together and, um, so this would have been September. Uh, this was August, 1993. August. Okay. And uh, things were really looking up for you as well. I know in the next episode, there's some big stuff in your career that goes on. But I had fallen in love and I wanted to show, I wanted to go over to PJ's and see him because I still had this 
thing going on in my head for him. But I was hoping and I was trying to create a situation where I could tell him I've loved somebody else. Please, please, this time, can you like at least tell me that you still love me and that I shouldn't be with someone else? Drama. That's not what happened. PJ, what happened? Okay. So your journal from August 28th, 1993 says the following. I saw PJ on Thursday. It was incredibly bizarre. When I arrived, we sat on the couch for maybe five minutes and then he started kissing me. I said, no, I just wanted to be held and to talk to. So we did. He told me he thought of me and the time we spent together just doing stuff. And I laughed and said, you mean fooling around? And he said, no, just being together, which is true. I love being with you. Uh, just being together and him not being sick of my company. I had asked him earlier whether he was seeing anyone and he said he couldn't be bothered. Uh, didn't, I didn't, sorry, couldn't be bothered. He didn't have time and he gets bored with the people. Anyways, he's told me I was pretty and beautiful, which you are and were and always will be. And to be honest, it felt nice to hear some compliments as I had somewhat of a down week, but it just wasn't there. And I had this burning urge to leave. Well, then get off my couch and go to your boyfriend. Pia. Before I left, he asked me if I was seeing anyone. I said, kind of. He was surprised. I told him he lived in PEI. So he responded with, so you're not seeing him really then? I explained that uh, he was supposed to come live with me for a while. And the first thing he said was, do your parents know? How do they feel about that? Kind of a strange response, I thought. I explained how vulnerable I felt, and I don't want to have my heart broken. And he said to me that the only reason I was hurt by him, PJ, was because I had never been dumped before. And there's a lot worse things in the world than a broken heart. That's true. I was a tough guy. And I had some whiskey and I drove my horse off into the sunset. Uh, The first thing that popped into my head was, my God, PJ, you really are going to be 35 and completely alone at the old age of 35. Why are you talking like that? (laughs) Completely alone at 35, which I was and happy. Yeah, we'll see how happy he, he is in the next episode. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe to our podcast and share the link with friends. Do you have a love story about timing and two sides to tell? Reach out to us on social media. This podcast is a spin-off of our manuscript, Nancy and PJ Learn French. See nancyandpj.com for more on that. Thanks to Dustin, Alyssa, and Isaac at Life's Tough Media. In our next episode, PJ gets a huge career break in Toronto as Nancy moves outside Montreal and waits for her new boyfriend to move in. <laughs>